Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Coffeehouse Theology. Uh, It is Wednesday, and so it's time for us to gather again. Uh, Grateful that you're here as we've continued our conversation with people who are uh, connected to the life of our church. And uh, and so tonight, uh, we are blessed to have with us Leon Drennan. Uh, And uh, I'll let Leon tell you some more about him uh, in just a little bit. But uh, 30-year executive in the the hospital and uh, healthcare industry. Uh, But I got to know Leon. In 2001, when I came to Brentwood Baptist, he was uh, a member there. But about that time, he was beginning to work with the staff. And so I'll tell more of that story in a minute. Uh, But uh, Leon has uh, taken his wisdom and poured it into a couple of books. Uh, So Lee was waving this one around. Lee's part of the Leon fan club. Uh, And so it's a book called Good King, Bad King uh, Essentials for Organizational and Personal Success. Uh, And then for leaders specifically, he's got a book called 2020 Leadership uh, that uh, he's kind of distilled those lessons into tonight. So you're going to get some of the core of that. Uh, But uh, we always want to be sure we start with a couple of things. One is to tell you about uh, the Slido uh, room. And so our room number tonight, if go to your web browser uh, and go to slido.com, our room number is 41163. Or new feature tonight, you can just scan that QR code. Uh, and it'll take you right there. And so remember, you can submit questions, uh, and then uh, you can also like questions, and so that'll move them up or down in our feed, uh, and uh, that will, uh, that'll help us know uh, how to prioritize our time. Uh, the second thing we want to be sure that we do is start with a word of prayer. So uh, Brian Ball, will you lead us as we pray? Absolutely. Father God, we're thankful. Uh, thankful for your grace. Thankful for your son that saves us. Uh, thankful for tonight. Thankful for Leon um, and the way that you have worked in and through him, Father, to, to create um, great organizations, both inside the church and outside the church, and great leaders. And so we're excited to hear how you're at work in and through him. Uh, bless us to be wise and, 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 to, and to see your truth, Father, and to be changed by that, to walk out different people than came in. Because when we encounter your truth, Father, we should be different. And so bless us with the humility and the wisdom to gain those things. It's in the precious name of Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, you need to know that the three of us enjoy meeting and hanging out, and we were just at dinner together, and you should have heard us. We were brilliant. So I don't know if that's going to translate uh, over tonight or not, but no, it, it will. Uh, the more Leon talks and the more I get out of the way. But Leon, help us to get to know you a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, where you grew up, your family. Give us, give us a little insight into the world of Leon. Well, I grew up on a dairy farm. Uh oldest son of six children we had uh, we had dairy cows we had pigs we had sheep uh, we had tobacco we everybody worked hard doing everything we could just to make a living uh, I was tired of that well before I was six years old <laughs> <laughs> so when I went to college at Murray State University I met a couple of old fellows from a uh, uh, coal country from Muhlenberg County Kentucky and they had a brother-in-law that was an accountant, and they told me what he did and what he made, and I said, that sounds like a whole lot better life than I've ever had. So they were going into accounting. They were good friends of mine, and I decided to go into accounting. I went into accounting for all the wrong reasons. Uh, I was interested in the lifestyle and the money. I didn't like to speak on my feet. Hated it. Hated it. <laughs> Only had to do one speech class. Didn't like to write. Uh, and you only had to do one, you know, theme paper. So I said, this is my sweet spot. And, and, you know, you could do your job, you get off in a corner, do your work, make a decent living, 
not fool with anybody else, not write, not talk, and just going about life. And now here you are writing and talking for and, a living. And, you know, the, <laughs> and so, you know, the word says that man makes his plans and God directs his steps. Yep. So pretty soon thereafter, when I hit the corporate world, I was writing 30, 40 page reports every other week. Uh, I spent a lot of time speaking on my feet and uh, I wound up here in my, uh, most of my life and particularly my life last season of life. Uh, I do leadership seminars. I do strategic planning retreats where I'm on my feet all day. Uh, God's led me so far to write six books. So everything I said I didn't want to do and, and be, that's what God says, you know, here's, this is really you, Leon. God's sense of humor, isn't it? So. Yeah, it is funny. Tell us about your family. Uh, well, I have, uh, I'm, I'm married to Debbie Jean Flowers. You know, the genes are important, so I got the right gene. I got Debbie Jean Flowers. <laughs> uh, we have three kids, and uh, now five grandkids, five, four, three, two, one, and one on the way. Okay. Congratulations. Uh, and, uh, uh, my youngest daughter got married, so got even more potential, got some bandwidth, even beyond what we have now. So I'm very excited about that. It's good. It's a good place to be. Well, tell us, tell us about your testimony. How did you come to Christ in, 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 this, uh, in this progression? Well, uh, you know, as I said, I grew up on a dairy farm, and we raised tobacco. In August, we had revivals. And we had revivals. You know, sometimes it's just a contest to see who could, who, who would guild first. And they'd <laughs> vote, you know, do a week, then vote, do they do another week? And we, we did two-week-long revivals. And we'd milk the cows twice a day, do the evening milking, and go to revival every single night. And yeah. then I had a choice about going to the daytime revival. And my choice was very simple, go to the tobacco patch or go to the revival. <laughs> well, I went to the revival and when I was about nine years old, there was an old fired up Catholic preacher that, uh, you know, he just, he, he slow roasted you over hell. And, uh, and, and I had wanted to, to profess my faith. I'd wanted to become a Christian and, and almost had walked the aisle, which was a very daunting thing to me. But anyway, at nine years old, I walked the aisle and said I wanted to be saved and uh, was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, and, and so as you, how has, has your faith, because you've talked about being a leader, and, and I think, Jay, you want to talk a little bit about kind of what, introduce kind of what he's done in the church, per se, and then kind of go into what, what you know, how the Lord has led you through these things and into your position and into, your, into the, you know, kind of developing leaders and developing organizations. Well, as you mentioned, Leon, you know, some of your reasons for getting into accounting, all right, we're, we're you know, I'm going to make, make a good living, you know, not have to be around people. Talk to us about how the Lord began to shape that in you to recognize that, that, that leadership and the position he had given you, he could, could be used for his purposes and his glory. Yeah, you know, and the accounting was really, in my career, was a means to an end. I, I wasn't three years into the workforce and I quit doing my own taxes, <laughs> you know, even though I was a CPA. Uh, I went to work for an international accounting firm, spent two years there. One of the main clients, biggest clients, was HCA, Hospital Corporation of America, and I went there to internal audit. And, and that's where, you know, I said, uh, you know, they're, they're accountants and they're leaders. And I had the, the two slices of my personality that could understand the numbers, put them together, and then the slice that just kind of wanted to take charge and naturally did. 
and you know the regular account is like, well, somebody got to be in charge. You know, Leon as good as anybody. So I ran the internal audit department for HCA for a number of years, and then uh, uh, we went through a series of mergers. And the guy that's now the senator from New York, former former uh, from from Florida, the former governor Rick Scott, he gave me things which is very unusual. Besides. Uh, internal audit. I've had design and construction and engineering and uh, corporate real estate and, and things that if it was messed up, I tended to get it, which was kind of nice because it was so messed up I couldn't mess it up anymore. So all, all I had to do was just get marginal improvement to, you know, to look reasonably smart. You know? And I actually used to think, I had the illusion that I was smart and that's why they gave it to me. But then, I, you know, I, I kind of came up in my books and writing about the, you know, the analogy of the swamp and organizational swamps and organizational floods. I'm like, you know, who do you send into a swamp? Somebody you can do without. <laughs> you know? So they sent me into the organizational swamps because, you know, I, 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 was, I wasn't indispensable. I was disposable. And if it worked, you know, they'd say, hey, we were brilliant. We picked Leon. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, and, 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 and obviously, Leon, you know, you, you have been faithful to develop those skills, those leadership gifts that God put inside of you. So when I came on staff in 2001, you had been a lay leader and a Bible study leader at Brentwood Baptist for a long time. But you had recently stepped into a new role uh, helping our, our staff. Talk to us about that process a little bit, how, how you made that decision to say, you know what, I, I need to give some time to my church to help our church take the next steps. Yeah, well, I'd always given time to the church, but uh, I, I was at a ball game watching my son play in, in the church ball league, and, uh, and one of the Glen boys were playing that night, and Mike came and sat down on the bleacher next to me. He says, you know, I hate, I hate this administration stuff. He says, I just, I hate it. And he got a, he got a big old tear going down one cheek. I hate it. He says, won't you quit your job and come down here and be chief of staff? And, uh, you know, I caught my stuff snickering at him, but, you know, even, even though he got the, got the tear thing going on. And I said, well, you know, I, I did my typical Baptist thing. I'll pray about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I didn't pray about it much, but uh, I started getting convicted that I was supposed to do something. And I prayed about it a lot, and I, I never had the sense I was supposed to quit my job and go be full-time, quote, chief of staff. Uh, but what I did was I bought back part of my time, 25% of my time, went all the way to the CEO of HCA. I want to buy back 25% of my time and, and go help out at my church. And uh, we didn't call it chief of staff. I thought that sounded too military. So we just, we didn't call it executive pastor. I said, I'll just be staff coordinator. Yeah. And I did that for three years on a voluntary basis while I still ran my function at HCA. Yeah. So that, that's where I met Leon. And, and I think you, you need to understand this part of the story. And I, I want to take a moment to explain this because it, it's personal to me, but it's also important in the trajectory and the history of our church. And so when I came on staff, it was 2001. This was a few months before we were moving to the Concord Road campus. To make a long story short, we left a place we really loved in Alabama to come up here. And one of my friends was on staff at the time, and that's how they got my resume. And to make a long story short, before I came, he was like, I love it. This church is great. Come on up. You know, you, you need to be here. I got here, and he was like, 
oh, things are a mess and I can't, you know, wheels are falling off and we're in transition. And I was like, well, well which is it? And so one day I, I was in a staff meeting and there was just a lot of, you know, people struggling. Any church that's going through growth goes through growing pains and, and changes. And so I, I'm the new kid on the block and I don't know better. And so I, I just was listening and, and I thought, well, some of that doesn't make sense to me either. And so I pulled out the org chart. I look on the org chart, it says staff coordinator, Leon Drennan, right? So I call Leon and called his assistant and said, hey, could I, I talk to Leon sometime about some questions I have? And, and, and she looked at the calendar and said, sure, I'll be, be, he'll be in your office tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. I said, great. Hung up the phone. I walked down the hall to my buddy's office and I said, well, this stuff you're, you're dealing with, complaining about, Leon's going to come talk to me about it at nine o'clock in the morning. He goes, you called Leon Drennan? It's like, he's the president of physician services at HCA. 20,000 doctors work for Leon Drennan. You don't just call Leon Drennan, right? And I was like, I just did. And maybe I just lost my job. Like, I, I, again, I'm 26 years old. I'm young. I'm naive. And so Leon walks into my broom closet of an office. And I'm not joking. Remember that office? It was a converted broom closet. Very That's small, how high very, I was, very, right, very on, on the totem pole. And, and, and he sits down and, and he said, what you got for me? And so I pulled out my list. You know, my resignation letter was right beside it in case I was going to need that, you know. But, but I, I began to work down the list, and Leon clarified things. And he, he said, well, you know, I'm not sure about that. I'll check on that and get back to you. He was really gracious and helpful to me. And at the end of that meeting, he said to me, he said, now, tell me this. Why are you the only guy bringing me these questions? And I literally said, because I was too dumb to know better. <laughs> but, but Leon graciously said, here's the deal. I like a guy who asks good questions. Anytime you want to meet me for breakfast or lunch, my time, I'll, I'll give to you. And so just like that, by God's grace, right, this kid from small town Illinois ended up being mentored in leadership uh, by a guy with his kind of experience. And that's just God's goodness. And so much of what I learned, I, much like Leon, I was kind of a natural leader as a kid. You know, people pick me to be the captain of the ball team or, or at church, they'd ask me to speak on you Sunday. I mean, but I didn't know how to shape those gifts organizationally. And so I would keep literally a little moleskin notebook and I called it my Leon list. And I would write down six or seven questions or issues I was having. And when that list got to a certain point, I'd call Leon's assistant, get on his calendar. We'd go to breakfast or lunch and, and he would unpack it. Now I'll say this, right? Be, be ready to get the truth when you sit down with Leon Drennan and, 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 and Brian Ball's nodding his head because he's going to shoot straight with you. But I needed to hear that. You know, I needed to hear that as a young leader. And so it, it helped me at a critical time in leadership. And so a lot of what I learned, right, about, about leadership, I learned from Leon. And here's what you need to know as well. Everything that he shared with me tied back to a biblical principle, Amen. right? The, these principles work, whether we're in the corporate world or in the church world, because they're true, because they're biblical. For those of you out who are out there, and I know some of you are business leaders in the room, and some of you will be listening online, you know, all of these books that get published, and I've had to read a lot of them working on my doctorate in leadership in the last few years from the business world. Do you know what's behind all of them? Biblical truth. Like they work because God made the world to work in that way. And when you apply it to anything, healthcare or accounting or what education, whatever field you're in, they work. And so, so Leon was really, really gracious to give me his time. And that had a huge impact on me that directly impacts what, what we do in the life of our church today. Uh, because he helped me to think through, through things uh, organizationally and critically. Uh, and, and he trained our church. Uh, our ministers go through a program with him that's a, a program called Model Netics. But it's, it's really showing people the playbook of how you organizationally lead a church. And that's 
that's what's helpful uh, and really helpful to us. And so alongside of that, the second piece of this is that during those three years, Leon put a system into place that, that I really, looking back, can see how God used that during our years of explosive growth. It was positioned right before we moved to Concord Road, and we could not have grown without it. Mike Glenn has the gift of, of, of preaching and communication, world-class communicator. But as you guys know, behind the scenes, there always has to be what Brian calls spirit-led order. There has to be a structure. There has to be a skeleton to hang things on. Uh, and matter of fact, that's all throughout the Bible, right? Places like uh, Exodus chapter 18, where Moses is overwhelmed. He's a gifted, God-called man, but his, brother, or his uh, father-in-law has to come and tell him, Moses, you're wearing yourself out. And so what does he have Moses do? He divides, right, the people. He, he raises up trustworthy and capable men as leaders, and then he breaks them down into, you know, you're going to deal with tens and you hundreds. And, and, and so there's organizational leadership that's there in the Bible that is spirit-led and ordained. And Leon brought that to our staff at a time, uh, and, and it enabled our staff to function. Mike had this big vision for our church, but we were able to break it down into bite-sized pieces and align that and hold our team accountable to that and, and when you look back on those 2000s, those years when at the Brentwood campus, we were growing four to 600 members a year. What enabled things to stay on track and us not just get overwhelmed and overrun was that Leon had the patience and the ability as staff coordinator to come in, put that system into place, uh, put, put a system into place by which everybody would know, here, here is my role, here's my responsibility, and it equipped and empowered the staff to be able to run with that vision. Uh, and we still, and we are still seeing God do great things, you know, uh, that, that were just, you know, that, that that era was a catalyst for. So that took a minute to explain, Leon, but I wanted them to have the connection between your time in that role and then, you know, and, and what, what God's still doing in our church to this day. You have anything to yeah. add, add to that? Well, uh, as you were talking, it made me think of one thing. I do remember I was sitting in a nice office on the backside of Centennial Park looking out my window over downtown, and the thought struck me that I should call Mike, Mike Glenn. I called him up, and I said, Mike, buddy, you worried about this building. Mankind has been building buildings for years. They built the pyramids and didn't have the machinery we have today. The easiest part of what's ahead of us is building a building. Mm -hmm. What you're not thinking about and what nobody's talking about is we're going to double, triple in size and we don't have any, any thought along the lines of, of developing and empowering and placing leaders in the organizational infrastructure to be the church. Good. And I said, the worst thing that can happen is we move to the new building, we get an influx of people, and we don't know what to do with them. So it, it wound up that, uh, in God's providence, that, that sometime later, after that, uh, or before that building was built, that I did the staff coordinator role. And one goal that every staff member had was to develop and empower a certain number of leaders every year so that we would have the pipeline of, of folks that could uh, could help and, and and serve and lead and challenge the people that that uh, came to the church. Well, and, and speaking as a mathematician and not knowing anything about like organizations and business, what I've always seen organizations as is command and control, right? That they that they were there to command and control. And what the Lord has given you in that gifting is creating organizations that have spirit-led order. Your organizations led to freedom. Yeah, well, there, it's the difference. I'm glad you brought that up. It's the difference between management and leadership. 
And I'll confess, I'm hardwired to be a manager. And, and I, I was a benevolent manager for a lot of years. Benevolent. Of life. Yeah, I'm pretty benevolent. <laughs> I was, actually, I was gracious for an internal auditor. Okay, okay. You know, I actually, you gotta put the context. I actually got mad at the auditor sometimes just because they, they looked at things so black and white, wouldn't cut anybody in slack. Uh, it couldn't buy a compliment from them. Uh, but anyway, managers direct and control task and activity. You know, can you help, you know, will you, will you do this for this amount of pay and be happy with it? A leader is an entirely different thing. You see, and, and maybe we put our, our visual up there for the people in the house. A leader inspires people with vision. You know, to have wholeness, to have completeness in an organization, you need some inspiration, you need passion. Well, vision, a picture of a better future is what gives you that. And then your vision either attracts people or repels people. So leaders inspire with vision, and then they guide with priorities, and then they empower with goals that the person has agreed to and things they can do and want to do, and then they encourage and celebrate through measuring and sharing feedback and looking at progress and then coaching and correction if they're off track. Leading is an entirely different discipline than managing. Find somebody that you can pay enough to do a job, you know, you can do that pretty simply, but finding somebody that really cares about this vision, that really is really well suited for this job and would, would do it uh, without pay if money weren't an object, uh, people that, that really focus on priorities and they want to do what's important and they know what's important and then they, they want to measure and, and be part of the progress and be part of a team that's, that's winning, that's an entirely different, your, your whole approach to interviewing, okay? Uh, churches, they, they look at, you know, you know, where you got your doctorate degree from and what your calling is and how good a game you talk in an interview you know, and how long you can last and how many different groups you can talk to and still be smiling at the end of it. <clears throat> and, and, and in churches that are the size to have three staff members, a preacher and a song leader and a youth minister, the one that turns over the most frequently is the youth minister because they get hired for their personality and fired for their lack of administrative skills. Mm -hmm. So there's really five things you look at if you're a leader <clears throat> in hiring people. You look at a person's purpose, what did God create them for? What's their unique place in life? And does my job help them accomplish that? What's their personality? How did God uniquely hardwire them? Uh, what's their passion? Even though they got the skill to do it, do they care anything about doing it? What's their preparation? I've heard Mike Glenn say many times, you know, growing up in the TV store and watching his daddy and delivering TVs uh, helped him deal with the public, and it was more meaningful in his experience than, than the seminary. I heard him say that several times. So what's your total life preparation, and then what's your potential to uh, hold a long-term position in that organization? Now, that's a lot different interview process oh, yeah. than, you know, can, can you do this if I pay you this? Well, and God, God of course, looks at things transactionally. Of course not, right? God looks at things in leadership and in, and in, and in, those, in those terms, right? In mm -hmm. the terms of leadership. When he's talking about being a shepherd, 
-hmm. He's not talking about being a manager. No. He's talking uh -huh. about being a leader. That's right. Right? Because that's because they say follow the example of the shepherd. That's what it says over in, over in Timothy, right? That you follow the example of the shepherd. Because you're not trying to get someone to do something by manipulation. You're, you're leading the, the sheep to, to green pastures. You're leading them beside the seal waters. You're not beating them with a stick and making them go scratch among the rocks. Right. And, and, but that's a critical difference from what we see in the world, right? Oh, night and day. Right. Because, it is, and we're going to get the scripture passage, right? They laud over them. Right, laud their authority over them, laud their power over them, and that's not what we do. That's the difference, right? So we talk about kind of what the difference that Christian faith makes, right, in being a leader in business, in, in doing these, in implementing these leadership strategies compared to like you probably saw some of your, you know, I guess functional equivalents, right, that were doing things in a much more worldly way. Yeah. Well, you know, your faith, first of all, gives you a sense of calm and peace. When everybody else is going a little bit nuts. <laughs> when, when I left HCA and set up my nonprofit and started doing stuff, um, a lot of which I gave away, uh, some of which I charged for, like, how do I do it? Well, you know, part of my model I learned from a consulting firm, and they, they charge people $4,000 a month to coach them. And, and I talked to them for two hours, and I finally just shook my head and I said, I've enjoyed talking to y'all, but what, when it comes down to it, what do you really do? They looked me in the eye and they said, we, we help leaders have the courage to act. I said, so you help leaders deal with their fears. Yep. So a short time later, I ran into a good friend that, that so happened he was one of their clients. I said, here's what they told me, anything to do that? Said, well, yep, yep, that's kind of what they do. That's kind of what they do. Leaders, we think of them being bold and fearless and all this kind of stuff. Well, <clears throat> dealing with fear, staying calm, dealing with the unknown, dealing with challenges, dealing with complexity, dealing with difficult, staying calm uh, is, is part of leadership. Doing what's best for other people. So my mission at Vision Leadership is to invest in the lives of Christian leaders who are going to grow God's kingdom and help others to do the same. So I do that in three specific ways. One, I help them get more done in less time and less stress so they can spend the time with their friends, family, church, and community. You know, save them time. Save them some stress. So next thing I do is profitability. You do things right, you're going to be more profitable. If you're a, a, a nonprofit or a ministry, you're going to be able to take the resources and get more out of them. And the third thing I, I help them do is create a better culture. Uh, <clears throat> you know, Jethro wanted upon Moses, and there's a long line of people. You know, 600,000 male Jews in the desert in a line where it's hot. They weren't, they're not happy people to begin <laughs> with. They were in the wilderness. Yes. And then you put, you put anybody hardwired like me, and, 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 and a lot of folks are, put them in a long line. Uh, that's, Not happy that's, campers, that's, 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 literally. That's, that's tough. So when you create an environment of wholeness, a culture where uh, everybody's qualified for the job, people like the job, they like the people they're working with, uh, they know what the game plan is, they had input into the game plan, they know what the priorities are for the year and they don't change uh, every month, and they keep score and they know what the score is. I mean... Fellas, we won't even play golf without keeping the score. 
Now, of course, I won't play golf if you do keep the score, but, uh, <laughs> but, but you know, men won't, women won't either won't play golf without keeping score. You know, so we need, to, we need to keep score. We need to know what the score is. We need to know how we're doing as an individual and contributing. We need to know how the team's doing. And see, all of those things are part of what make a healthy culture and make people excited to come to work. 65% of the people in this country go to, go to job, work every day at a job they don't even like. So, Leon, one of the things that you, you're talking about when it comes to leadership, uh, you know, managers, again, getting the job done, but, but leaders are able to put together the various pieces of an organization in order to, to bring alignment. Right. And so what you've got before us is kind of a, a one-slide visual that summarizes the, the process you've that you go that through. You've got that 370-page, eight-and-a-half-by-eleven book, which I, I, myself and maybe five other people have read that thing. Yeah, yeah. Brian, back. Lee Harrison, and myself. So right, three of them three are right here. Are in this room. And, Jim, and Jim Baker. And Jim Baker. So there's four. And, and Jim, Jim Baker and, and one of my best friends from work. I think are the only people that read that whole thing. And, and I think there was a whole lot of scanning going on in that. So I took that and then a couple of years ago reduced it to that. I took about 40% of the, of the words, got all the main concepts, and wrote that. But then I was like... Really, uh, it needs to be simpler, so I put it, I, I put it on one page. So, and, and I wrote this book, the big book, in this conceptual framework. See, context is everything. Mm. A bunch of knowledge without context is just confusion. It creates yeah. confusion. That's That's so, looking back over 30-some years of of career where HC's a big company, you got hundreds of hospitals, you got hundreds of surgery centers, so you got hundreds of cultures, you got hundreds of leaders. And I did a bunch of different things. What I'd really learn from it. So I came up with the five P's. What's it really take to make a successful organization? What's it really take to make for successful leadership? And I said, well, look, the five P's. Purpose, you know, why are we here? You know, as simple as that seems, there are a lot of people who can't tell you that. Yep. People, do we have the right people? Mm -hmm. Do these people care about this purpose? Does it make them feel important? And then we've got priorities. What, what really matters? What do we need to be doing? And we've got power, empower people to do the priorities. And then you're equipped to make progress. So then I put it in this triangle and, and the base is prayer. In prayer, God reveals to you what his plan for you is, what his plan for your organization. And, and a lot of people skip over that. And, and I say people pray one of three ways. You know, uh, God, what's your plan? How do I fit in it? Uh, uh, God, here's my plan. Bless it. Uh, and the third way, most common is, well, God, here's my mess. Now help me fix it. <laughs> uh, you know, so it, it's better off to start with prayer. And then you have the mission. Mission is expression of why we're here. Uh, and then mission is, is carried out, lived out through the values of the organization and the vision, you know, where we're going, a picture of a better future. And then that vision, as I said earlier, attracts or repels people. And then when you got the team in place, <clears throat> you focus on the priorities and you cascade goals down through all levels of organization. And then you're prepared to make progress. And you make progress by doing more detailed plans, change, uh, doing some documentation and training, and then having a control system. And the control system and controls and accountability get a bad rap. When you're doing this right, and I always did quarterly reviews. I didn't want to go more than 90 days without thanking people for the good work they were doing. 
and, and, and having to talk to them and getting a chance to talk to them and hear from them. So uh, I looked forward to those times. And when I was doing my job well, they looked forward to them too because they had the right people in the right place doing what they were good at, doing what they wanted to do, making a substantial contribution, and I recognized it every 90 days. If they were off track, I'd, I'd coach them, and you know, sometimes I'd correct. Uh, in very rare instances, I would discipline somebody. <clears throat> but that, that's the essence of a, of a functional organization. Now that red line that I draw up through the center there, you, when you get any of these things misaligned, you create confusion, mm -hmm. you create anxiety, and you create inefficiency. And, and, and when, when I talk to people, I have a laminated eight and a half by 11 slide that's got this diagram that we just went over on the front, and then I do one with, with where nothing lines up yeah. on the back, and I call it the dysfunctional organization. I say, <clears throat> you know, I'm not a clinical doctor. I ran physician service, but I'm not a clinician. But, you know, tell me where it hurts. Now, if you, do you look like this or do you look, do you look like this? I'd turn it around. If you do, you need to keep talking to me. If you just got a, a sore spot somewhere down in the organization, then maybe I can refer you to somebody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and let's, let's be honest. Most of us who have been in and around church world for a long time, most of us have seen a dysfunctional church. Matter of fact, I would venture to say that most churches, right, we, we share, right, we should share a lot of the things in common with, with what's on that pyramid, right? We should all start in prayer. Our mission is what every church should be to make disciples. All of those things are solid. But as you, as you continue up that chart, what we've all been in, let, let's just, you know, give an example, the terrible Wednesday night church business meeting where the, all the things you described, confusion, anxiety, you know, when, when those things aren't in line, it creates chaos in the church. And, and of all places that we need to be aligned and that we need to do this best, it's the Church of Jesus Christ because we have the most important mission in the world. Our mission isn't to make money, right? Our mission is to make disciples. That's right. And I actually constructed this model in my head and then on a piece of paper. Uh, in more depth, I fleshed it out when I was doing the project at Britwood Baptist. See, because we, we didn't have, we didn't have this. What, what I saw when I came in is people that were confused, working too hard, trying to please too many people, couldn't please everybody, uh, running too hard. So I did the construct to first of all protect people empower people you know what do, what do you feel like God called you here to do okay well that, that lines up with something that makes sense here uh, what do you want to do what do you think you can do and, and, and we created after a season of prayer mission values a vision you know what, what we're going to look like in five years from now and then we put we had about 80% position, uh, position turnover we only lost two or three over three years outside the church. Most people, they just they got promoted or did a lateral or something to a, to a job that fit them best as we uh, took on the growth. So we got the right people in the right spots, feeling good about what they were doing, and we focused on the priorities. I wouldn't let anybody set more than seven priorities. Yep. Okay, I said, you know, problem is you're trying to do too much. Uh, I remember the chief administrative officer <clears throat> at that time, long gone, nobody knows who he is, it's not, it wasn't Mike, the aid administration. We had a meeting to talk about priorities. 
So I thought, well, you know, he should go first. He stands up with a, with a yellow legal pad you know, with, with stuff on the front and back. And I said, you know, we, can't, we take the whole afternoon just going through your list. Tell me your top three. And he did this. He did his hands up like he's getting ready to offer a sacrifice or an offering. <laughs> did hands up. He says, I got no clue. And I thought, well, you know, if you don't have any clue what the priorities are, then maybe that's why everybody else in the room is a bit confused. Mm -hmm. So we focused on, as a team, brainstorming through what was important, what we want to have as priorities for the church, then broke those down by ministry. And we empowered people to do those things. And then when, you know, lay people wanted to sabotage them in the hall. We, you know, we think we need to do this. We think this. Well, here's what I've been approved to do. Yeah. You know, we can go talk to so-and-so and see if we want to add something. But really, we tried to protect and empower the staff. And I liken it to making guns. Now, you can make a gun and hand it to somebody, and they can protect themselves. You can make another gun and hand it to somebody else, and they'll pull it on you and take you hostage. <laughs> so one of my concerns about implementing systems in a system such as this is it can be used both ways. Yeah. I created it and used it to empower and protect people. Yeah. Uh, you can get to what, what I call the managers, the controller types, and they can use it as a gun to hold on you and, and, and make life tough for you. Yeah, yeah. and let me give you a, a real-time example. So I was student minister. One of the biggest things when I came that we had was senior recognition. And I mean, it was like pomp and circumstance. They wore their caps and gowns to church. Everybody marched across the platform. We gave out Bibles and we had a big meal. And I mean, you, you remember these days. And so I talk about those lists of priorities. So on my priority list was, right, I, I've got to figure out what to do with senior recognition. So I sit down with Leon. All right, Leon, I'm, I'm the student guy now. I got, I got to handle senior recognition. I said, what do I need to do with it? And he's like, kill it. <laughs> I was like, well, why? He's like, what's the mission of our church? To connect people to Jesus Christ, right? Through worship, discipleship, and service. That was our That's agreed right. upon mission statement. Tell me, tell, me, tell me how senior recognition does any of those kind of things. And I was like, well, uh, I, he's like, that's why you need to kill it. And then I said, Leon, your daughter's going to be a senior next year. <laughs> Debbie will kill us both, right? <laughs> and so, but what we agreed upon, right, was the right way to be able to recognize seniors, make it a part of the discipleship process. And, and we dramatically changed the way that we handled senior recognition to where it wasn't, you know, a huge waste of church resources, honored them properly, uh, you know, and, and, and but was more and focused around the mission. That I didn't agree with it with what you wanted to do. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. But, but my, my point is this. In a typical church, why does the youth pastor get fired? because he did away with senior recognition and a bunch of parents got mad. But in our system, right, we were looking at everything through the lens of the mission and my supervisor, our senior pastor, the trustees of our church, agreed and the church voted, right, upon our three to five year objectives and goals. So we were able to say, this is what the church has says is important, making disciples. We'll find a way to honor seniors and do that appropriately, but, but, but where the emphasis was way up here, right, and all this time and energy on, on just a, a simple recognition. And by the way, dirty little secret, I would always meet a bunch of teenagers for the first time when they were graduating. <laughs> 
because they never showed up at church. But, you know, mom and dad wanted to parade them before the church when they graduated high school. It wasn't doing anything meaningfully to advance the mission of the church. So we were able to properly put that in its place. But what we did was we launched life groups in our student ministry. Yeah. We well, recalibrated. Jay, do you know how to make a bunch of trustees so mad they can spit, <laughs> but then they get all tongue-tied on you? How? Say, you know, that is a good idea. Brother, sister, I appreciate your heart in coming up with that idea. But, but I'm kind of slow here. Would you please tell me how that ties to our mission and vision and, and, and five-year objectives for the church? Because I'm, I'm missing that part. And they talk around, and, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm not seeing where it has anything to do with our mission and vision. And, and it is just, it is just make people's heads explode. <laughs> well, but the, the beautiful part, I came as a lay leader in 2003. I came as a, we came, we came to Brentwood Baptist in 2003. And one of the things that your system allowed, right, was people from the congregation would get an idea. And they would say, we think this is a fantastic ministry idea. And the staff, because of, would ask, does it fit in our mission? If it did, they'll go, how can we enable you to run the ministry God's called you to? Right? Most churches go, how do we incorporate that and build staff? But they say, look, the Lord's called you to this. He's yeah. given you a passion. He's given you a calling. How do, you, how do we help you do that? Yeah, which is crucial because as a staff member, everybody wants to bring you your idea for right. you to do it. Right. Right? <laughs> right. Whether or not it aligns with the mission and vision. But that's not freeing. That's right. Right? That's not spirit-led order. That's right. That's not spirit-led order, and that's what... That's Satan-initiated chaos. That's exactly right. True. That's a, it's to distract you, right? It's, it's C.S. Lewis, right? Yeah. It's to distract you from what God is calling you to do, and that was what was so brilliant about this system, was it enabled freedom, not just among the staff, right, but among all of us who are here. Yeah. It, isn't that just awesome? That the, and, and it brought it, and like I say, and Leon, it, well, the Lord worked through Leon to bring that to us. And that's just spectacular. There was some megachurch pastor years ago that was talking about vision. And he says, you know, if your vision is not clear enough to make some people mad, mm-hmm. then it's not clear enough. That's right. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to Jesus as the stumbling block in the cornerstone. That's right. right. Yeah. Well, and there are a lot of people who bring their agenda, you know, and, and, and their, their pet project and their, you know, but, but when you're able to say, we have prayed we have have worked together as as a team to to determine that these are the things that are the most important in making disciples you know and reaching people with the gospel man then like you said real energy and synergy comes when people from would come to me well leon we think we'll do this well you know here's the here's the challenge for me i assembled 200 of, of our leadership lay leaders mm-hmm. and all the staff and we've agreed on these things and i don't have the authority in and of myself to change that. If you want to help me uh, get these 200 back together and all the staff back together, go back and see if we want to change out a priority, uh, we'll do that, but we'll do that about this time next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, it's, and, and that's, that's a way of saying what they did in the book of Acts, right? Yeah. They gathered the leaders, the different gifts and perspective, and it seemed good to them. You see that repeatedly in the book of Acts where, the, you know, versus it just being one senior pastor or one, you know, person who gives all the money in the church or one influential gifted leader. You know, that is so important uh, to understand that. And so, Brian, there, there, working with Leon, there was a, a text of scripture. Uh, you know, obviously, Leon's book is full of it. And like I said, all these 
principles come from, you know, you know, a scriptural background. But there's one in particular we wanted to focus on tonight. Yeah, if you want to turn over to Matthew, it's Matthew 20, 20, 20 through 29, right? And, and it's, it's where, um, and I'll read it and then we'll kind of talk about it. It says, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, kneeling before him. She asked for him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in the kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my, at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared for by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant toward the two brothers. And these, these are the verses Leon called out. But Jesus called them and said, You know that the rulers of Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right, so this is a power play, right? This is a power play to say, put my sons, right? Put, put James and John in the positions of authority. These are the same guys we talked about on Sunday, right? right. Sons of thunder. thunder. That's right. So, so they're thundering their way to the top, right? And, and, and Jesus says, look, you, know, you don't, you know, can you drink my cup? They said, yes. And, and, right? and Jesus says, and you will drink my cup. Because James was the first disciple to be martyred. And John was the last. So they will drink that cup. But they didn't understand what, heaven, what, what greatness in heaven was. right? Because, because authority in heaven is proportional to service. right? Giving service is what yields authority. So when you want to know who to follow, look at who serves. Right? That, and, and what we like to follow right, are the bedazzling talent. Right, the great orator, or somebody with the unique, but that, that's not who you follow. Right? Jesus says you follow, and, the, and that word for servant, or it's supposed to be your servant, it's the same word for deacon and minister. Deacon and minister. And so when you see our ministers, when you see deacons, the way you judge if they're true deacons is are they serving? Are our ministers serving? Right, and you talk. We talked a little bit at dinner about what ser that service really is, right, Leon? We did. What, so, what, what, what were your thoughts on that? What were your thoughts on it? Well, you serve people. You, you, a lot of people think, well, okay, you're good. You're a good servant leader if you make the coffee and if you buy lunch and if you allow Bible study and you know some businesses are hiring chaplains. You know, and that just really chaps people when you hire a chaplain and then go a year and don't give anybody a raise. Uh, you, you don't get you don't get Christian points. For that, so so being clear about the mission and making people feel they're part of something important, living out values consistently and making sure everybody on the leadership team does, being clear about the vision and, and, and actually inspiring people's passion, uh, uh, engaging them in priorities and letting them have a say so, and then putting them in positions that they're qualified to do and want to do. And, and then giving them goals they've agreed to and, and want to accomplish, and then celebrating their successes uh, concretely when they accomplish it. All of those things bless people. That creates wholeness. That creates Good. being part of something bigger than yourself. So I know many good, devout Christian leaders that are good to their 
people, they do the Bible studies, they do all this stuff, but their, their cultures are chaotic. They don't do these things, they don't do them well. You're like, you take priorities. Here's the problem with priorities. If you got a bunch of them, they aren't real priorities. If, if they're changing all the time, you're creating chaos and confusion. If they're unclear, you're creating chaos and confusion. Yeah. You bless people with clear priorities yeah. and consistent priorities, you, you really hurt people, uh, their psyche and, and just their esteem and their emotions by having that out loud. Well, I think that's part of what a Christian leader does. Okay, we prayed through this, we planned through it, we engaged the team. You know, can we, st and sometimes, even with the best planning, you've got to make adjustments. Yeah. But you, you have a reason for that, and you explain that, and, and you take all the, all the fluff and yeah, yeah out of it as much as you can for the team. Well, it's kind but, of you know, speaking, Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, it's kind of summarized by what you said earlier, right? You're working in the best interest of those you serve. That's right. right? And, you, and you do that from whatever position God puts you in. Right, and so you're always working in their best. That's what, what you said earlier. Right, you're always working in their best interest, and not to yours. These pagan leaders, the Gentile leaders, were working in their own interest. That, that, that's right. So, so y'all got a member of your church that's a good friend of mine. You got several members here that are, I think, are good friends of mine. I don't know what they'd say, but this this guy's a good friend of mine. And everywhere he went, he served in Sunday school. He served in in, in his uh, children's sports stuff. Everybody loved this guy. When we'd start talking about work, his demeanor would change and his teeth would start grinding and he didn't like his employees and he didn't trust them and uh, they made him mad and they, didn't, and, and they didn't like him and he didn't like them. And I said, brother, just, just we were Cracker Barrel actually near here at the time. Well, what's the deal? Everything else you do you love the people and they love you and then you start talking about employees and, and, and everything changes. He says, well, I guess, Leon, I think, well, they work for me. I said, well, brother, how about if you worked for them? How about if you did these things and got their input and set the goals and agreed on performance targets and uh, everybody got along and you produced more for the time you put in and maybe, God forbid, you take some of the more that you produce and you share it with them. You know, wouldn't they be happier? Wouldn't you be happier? So this, this whole thing, if you have people working for you, you're not a servant leader. Mm. If you are a leader and you're trying to assemble a team to do something of significance and you're inviting people to partner with you, that's different. So it, it, uh, the story of the cathedral builder. So yeah. there's a brick wall. I'll tell this very quick. Man comes up, <clears throat> sir, what are you doing? I'm laying brick. I lay one on top of the other all day. I get you know $20 an hour for it. It's back breaking work out here in the hot sun, but it's what I got to do to make a living. Next one, what are you doing? Oh, I'm a builder. I like building stuff. I get to work outside in the sunshine. I get my work out here. I don't have to do it before or after work. And I make a good living from family. Goes to the same person. They're all working on the same wall, the same brick, same sun. Says, what are you doing, sir? He gets all animated. Oh, I'm building a mighty cathedral. People are going to come here. They're, they're going to, lives are going to be changed. And can you believe it? I get paid to do this. I don't have to go work a regular job and then come volunteer my time to do this magnificent thing on the weekend or at night. Every organization is made up of cathedral builders 
builders and bricklayers who always become brick throwers. Now, early on in my writing, I thought bricklayers were bad people. And then as God sanctified my thing, and I realized people are people. I had time at HCA on one initiative, I was a bricklayer, I was just doing what I was told. And then on the other, I was creating something new that I had, had freedom and control over, and I was very excited about it and grateful for the opportunity. It is leadership that, that either creates bricklayers or cathedral builders. It's leadership that attracts and keeps one versus the others. Managers are going to attract, if they're lucky, builders and their fair share of bricklayers, but it takes a leader to attract cathedral builders. Yeah, so good, so powerful. And so as Leon was teaching this stuff to me, I was like, they need to teach this in seminary. You know, this is the stuff that you don't get uh, that is so, so valuable. So we have had a couple of questions come in, Leon, and so let's, uh, let's address those as we get ready to wind down for tonight. Uh, the one that's got the most likes is, what are some of the things that you've seen derail good leaders? Well, derail good leaders, uh, that list is long. But first of all, it's not starting in prayer not being clear about what God's called you to do and what he wants you to do, not having your confidence in God. And then if you go back up our chart, <coughs> if you don't have a missional focus so that people know why they're there, if you don't live out consistent values, and, and this is important, you think you, as long as you're the leader and you're living out the values, that's fine. Uh-uh. One of my most dissatisfied times at HCA was when we had 12 leaders, 11 of them lived out the values, and one didn't, everybody knew it, and they didn't do anything about it. Hmm. The whole leadership team has to live out the values. So not living out the values, not being clear about the, the vision, not having a compelling vision, a, a, a brighter picture of the future, not putting the right people in the right place, and, and they don't get along, and they can't do the job, or they're not best at the job. Uh, not setting and keep and, and sticking with the priorities, you know, not doing the measurement and feedback and all the kind of things you got to do to make progress. People need to make progress. They won't be part of a team that's going to make progress. And you have to do these things in this order to make progress. Some people have to, well, why don't you just start with progress? Well, okay, if you don't know why you're there, what your purpose is, what your mission is, what are you making progress toward? Right. You know, if you don't have value, if anything goes, you're going to get the best people. Uh, if you don't have a, a, a clear vision of where you're going, any road will take you there. If you don't have the right people, can you accomplish anything of substance? If you don't have nice, high, highly important focused priorities, can you get things done? I said, these blocks have to be laid in place yeah. before you have a chance to make progress. Yeah, that's good. The building block analogy works. That's good. Uh, next one, sometimes we're called to lead and sometimes we're called to be a follower. So what makes for a successful follower? Well, first of all, it, it takes humility. Uh, it, it takes uh, respect for everybody is supposed to be a servant. So even as a leader, you're a servant, but as a follower, you're a servant. I was talking to, to a guy one day at HCA, and he wanted to start his own business. Why do you want to start your own business? What it came down to is he didn't want to be under somebody's authority. I said, well, buddy... You're going to be under somebody's authority. That's right. You're going to have a shareholder. You're going to have a banker. Uh, somebody is going to hold you to account, yeah. period. Yeah. 
So if you're wanting to start your own business so that you don't have to be under somebody else's authority, that's just a bad idea. Yeah, and so, it's not so, just so in the, the business so world. So the thing is, be humble and, and tr be the best employee and team member that person could hope for. When, I, when God called me away from HCA and I was telling my boss, I said, you know, I, I hate short-timers, I hate short-timer attitude, I'm gonna leave, that's not negotiable but I want this to be the smoothest exit as can possibly be for you. And I wound up staying a year beyond when I told the guys I was leaving to help ensure that we had a good transition. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Uh, another, we got about two more. Um, one is, how can these leadership principles be used by individuals in the home or family? The same way you do them in business, okay? Uh, what are we about as a family? I remember little Kelsey, uh, she, she was going to play the lazy card on me. You know, when she, she's a Brentwood kid, she was entitled. And I said, young lady, I'll tell you what, you change your attitude, change your name. Drennan's work. We work hard. <laughs> By the time she got out of college and went to work, uh, she made a point. She was the last one to leave work. And she was in a public accounting firm where in tax season they worked 80 hours a week. And if somebody else was working 80, she worked 81. So, so the, the, the principles, you know, uh, what are we about as a family? How, how do we play together? How do we live together? What's the future like? <coughs> what really matters? Yeah, yeah, it's a great... I will tell you, I kind of cheat on this one, <laughs> on what matters. Because if there are 10 issues that come up, I'll give in to Debbie on eight of them. <laughs> and I'll only dig in on the two that really matter to me. <laughs> Yeah, but, but it's such a great point, right? Again, the principles are biblical. Whether you're at HCA, whether you're in a church, whether you're at home, you know, God, God designed this spirit-led order, and it's why the church should reflect the home, right? And, and, and really the public sphere is, is, again, if you apply those principles, they're going to work, which leads to our last question, which is how, how do we ensure that we're not just a, a good corporate model and are the church? You know, that's our theme. We are the church. Oh, I'm glad you ended on that question. So yeah. the church is an organization, and it's an organism. Good. Yeah. As an organization, it's a group of people trying to work together to do something. Yes. Of significance with the kingdom. But as an organism, it is the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. What makes an organism is the Holy Spirit of Christ. Yeah. Good. Well, as I said earlier, one of my concerns about training churches is they will take these leadership principles and have an effective, efficient organization and get things done and show a lot of activity, start patting themselves on the back for being so effective and efficient, but then leave the spirit out. I'd rather have the spirit with chaos <coughs> than, than good leadership without the spirit. But mm -hmm. what God intended and the reason he created the gifts of leadership and administration is he intended for us to be spirit-led as an organism and to be led very effectively through the gifts of leadership and administration. That is gold Amen. right there. Good, good. Yeah, and part B of that question was then, does our measure of organizational success need a new lens? And I would argue in a lot of churches, well, well, it yes, does. Yes, yeah. at Brentwood Baptist, we agreed on what that lens was many years ago when we tracked everything but that. The lens we agreed <laughs> on was changed life. But then in terms of uh, accumulating that and, and ever putting any shape and form around it, uh, we, we always defaulted to something that was easy to measure. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. the lens is a changed life. 
Yeah, and, and, and that's, that is part of what I've always appreciated about Leon's leadership is that, you know, the, the metrics matter because they measure people who matter to God, but what matters ultimately is the mission and us being faithful to that. So, Brian, a couple of wrap-up questions that we kind of ask every, every one of our guests uh, just uh, for some continuity here as we get ready to, to close. So how, do these, how does this leadership and leadership development help us love each other better as a church? Well, if you start off with the right attitude that I'm here for you, not for me. You, 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 we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, right. Not more, not less, but if we just take that idea of service. Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for me. We start off with that attitude, we're going to love well. If we can look at our calling and our purpose and what we're good at, and we figure out how to use that to help other people, we're going to be more fulfilled. So I was very excited when I turned 31 years, when I, at the end of my 31st year on this earth, because I got promoted to vice president of internal audit at HCA. It was a multi-billion dollar company. It was a big job. And I was like, whoa, the most demotivated I ever was in my life was about two weeks thereafter. I had just <laughs> turned 32, and I was having trouble getting out of bed and going to work. And I was like, well, well what's going on? Well, we later learned about it in modern ethics. They put a name to it, but a goal is what motivates you. And at barely 32 years old, I'd reached the highest goal I'd ever set for myself. And I had to set some other goals. So I knew I wasn't gonna be president of the company and didn't wanna be. I set goals around how many people I could develop and place throughout the company and places leadership that would be good for the company and good for them and good for their families. And, and my one regret is I didn't, didn't keep up with you know, who all those were and where they went. But th that's something I spent the rest of my career on. And in terms of developing people, that was core to the role I did internal audit. That was core to the role I did in the other things I did. And then that was core to what I did at Brentwood Baptist. And that's core to what I still yeah. do to this day. Because what's so wild about that, right, is, is that it, by God's grace, sometimes his dream for us is bigger than our greatest dream for ourselves. Like what he made us to accomplish and, right. and purpose in him. That's right. And then, and then how does this help us as a church witness to the outside world? Well, the word says love one another, and by this, all they men will know. Will know. All men will all know. Men so will know. If, right. we, if we get along, if we serve each other, if we defer to each other, if we accomplish things together that are extraordinary, if we're the best at what we do, the most honest at what we do, have the highest integrity, that stands out. You know, it stood out back when I was a young man in this black world. Today, black is an evil black. Uh, it will shine like stars we, we, you know, amongst different you know, The generation. light shines brightest in the darkness, and there's great darkness over this land. There's a, there's, a, there's a void, almost a complete void of effective leadership. So if we are different, and it is not hard to be different. It's hard to be consistently different, yeah. but it's not hard yeah. to be different. Uh, we really uh, stand out. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. That's 
So good, so good. Well, Leon, thank you uh, so much for taking some of your valuable time to be with us. And, well, thank uh, you, guys. We, we're, we're really grateful. And uh, his website is vision-leadership.com. Uh, and so you can find his books and, and helpful materials there if you're interested. Uh, and uh, Brian and I know how to get in, hold, uh, get in touch with him as well. But uh, Leon, can we pray for you as we wrap up this yes. evening? I'd be honored to do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for the good gifts that you give your church. And it is clear, uh, God, that, uh, that some of the gifts that you give spiritually is those gifts of leadership and administration, of, of organization, so that a spirit-led order um, can take the, the incredible resources that you give your church, God, the people, um, the money, the facilities, God, the, the vision, and that those can be aligned uh, so that people hear the gospel, so that lives are transformed and changed, uh, and so that the, the gospel will pass from one generation to the next. And so I'm grateful uh, for uh, leaders like Leon who see themselves primarily as servants. Uh, and God, we need to raise up a generation of servant leaders, as Leon has said so well just a few moments ago, uh, God, who stand out as uh, light in the darkness. And so, God, would we, uh, God, be willing to do the hard work that it takes uh, to shepherd and lead people well, recognizing, God, that ultimately we're simply following in the footsteps of Jesus, who did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, God, would you bless Leon and his efforts to train and equip and empower uh, a future generation of leaders? And uh, would you find us faithful as well to be about the things that Jesus said we should be about? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you give Leon a hand tonight for being with us? Thank you.